Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. Jake, welcome back. Uh, seems and, and sounds like you had safe travels across these United States, so welcome to becoming an East Coaster. I guess technically you're you're a New Englander now, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess it would be New Englander. I don't know if they're the same or if people are get really. I'll have to like ask around and see what people identify as here. Um, yeah. But yeah, we uh, we moved up to Rhode Island from Cincinnati, so um, new blackout restrictions are always fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, no, it's been nice. It's a, you know we're in Providence, so we've been exploring a little bit, riding our bikes around and whatnot. So I think it went well. Awesome, awesome. Well, glad to have you back. Uh, shout out to Nate Kosher for stepping in uh, on last week's episode. Had a lot of fun there, um, but also, of course, uh, happened to have my uh, my co-host back in the saddle. Um, so, just to jump into it, today's subject is is we have a, a gang of would you rather's. If you remember, in the off season, we did some real quick would you rather's as far as just matching up some some similar type prospects and. Uh, you know, some guys that we were just curious, like, you know, who would you rather have on your team? Kind of doing the same thing uh, here today. Uh, but first, we're going to jump into this week of baseball real quick. Um, obviously, we want to talk about Taj Bradley's debut. Perfect timing, as we talked about Bradley on last week's episode, as kind of one of the next to uh, to, to come up. And boom, uh, within the time of us recording and, and getting it out, he was up uh, dealing against the Red Sox. Five innings pitch, five hits, three earned runs, one walk, eight Ks. Uh, what did you like out of Bradley's debut? Yeah, so I mentioned the, uh, um, the new blackout restrictions. I actually wasn't able to watch it because the Red Sox are blacked out up here in Rhode Island. Um, and so I just kind of had to like pay attention to Savant. And I guess I, I can go back and watch it now, but I don't have the time for that. Right. Um, but it was well, it was funny because I, I lost that game being able to watch it. But then I gained being able to watch the Reds. And so I was able to watch Spencer Strider versus Hunter Green that night. Yeah. And I would not have been able to had I <laughs> been in Cincinnati like three days earlier. So I guess you win some, you lose some. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, just looking at like uh, his uh, his kind of like Statcast uh, profile from that game, he had a really good CSW, thirty five percent, and you know he had he had the strikeouts, but he wasn't you know get wasn't getting a ton of chases. He only had a twenty one percent chase rate, and then his swinging strike was like eleven point five or something. It was uh, he got nine whiffs uh, in in that game. So I, I think I think three or four of them was from Rafael Devers alone. Yeah. Devers could not <laughs> handle the fastball in his own. And he was just like, here yeah. it is. Here's 97, 98 down the pipe. What can you mm-hmm. do with it? And uh, Devers couldn't do much. Bradley's fastball was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, he was his like stuff plus on it was like 140 something um, like did doesn't drop at all. Has really good ride. 
Um, so yeah, his, his fastball was just, it was stupid. Um, I'm just a little weary of, um, you know, I think maybe the, probably the strikeout potential, you know, um, mm-hmm. because we saw him lose like 10 percentage points in strikeout rate going from double A to triple A, mm-hmm. um, and hadn't really had the chance to kind of like show us something else in triple A, you know, um, as far as strikeout rate goes, like, I think he did pretty well, but it was two starts and, um, and so now he comes up and he's like, okay, like good CSW and, and like looks lights out, has a great fastball, um, but then you kind of see like, you know, hitters aren't really chasing a whole lot and, mm-hmm. and not getting a ton of whiffs. And so um, kind of like uh, I don't think we can expect like the the eight strikeouts per five innings going forward necessarily. I'm sure that's a bit of a debut bump. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that he's a really good ceiling for ratios and he's mm-hmm. going to get opportunities now because the Rays, as much as incredible as they've been, they've now kind of hit their first kind of snag with their rotation Mm-hmm. Uh, health issues yeah. so so let's hold on that because bradley comes up later uh in our show actually is one of our would you rather so we're going to jump back on bradley uh and talk through the injury piece as well uh going to new york uh the mets the question that everybody's asking when are they going to call up brett Beatty? uh brady's doing everything that he can uh to force the issue and we talked uh last week i believe if not the week before about prospects making themselves undeniable right just forcing the team's hand regardless of the roster construction regardless of what the future plans are uh and that is exactly what the young man is doing here's the in, in 42 plate appearances so yeah it's small smallest you know sample size nine games but here's what he's doing 400 500 866 the slugging is eight i'm sorry 886 the slugging is 886 that's not his ops that's the slugging by itself Five home runs. He chipped in two stolen bases because, you know, why not? 241 WRC+. plus. Um, it's just like everybody's just waiting. When are the Mets going to make this move? They've kind of thrown out every flimsy excuse uh, they can. It, it's, it's interesting. We talked about uh, the prospect uh, promotion incentive and how that's really been encouraging teams to kind of get away from some of the service time manipulation and all that sort of and this is like old school 2019 (laughs) we're gonna suppress this guy like when can it be may so we can call him up and get that extra year yeah see Um, the mets have no problem paying guys but they want to keep them they want to keep them for as long as possible right Right. i I feel like they have to be shooting for that service time manipulation but it's got to be it yeah i mean it's got to be it but then at some point it's like it becomes so like so obvious but then also just like it's it's i think at one point, does he force the issue? At one point, do they kind of have to abandon that, especially yeah. since their current third baseman mm-hmm. is trash? Not, right. not sorry, that's a little right. bit extreme, but no, like he hasn't been, he hasn't been playing trash. well. Yeah. Um, he is not like, trash. His performance has been trash. We'll, yeah, we'll there you go. That. Thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been it's a really drastic like kind of issue for them right now. Yeah. Um, but hey, if you're with the money that they spend and with like if they're willing to ride it out like no one can really stop them so yeah that's that's the thing it's like tanking in in basketball right it's like there's really Uh little that the league can do to like dissuade the team if that's what they want to do um so so keep your eye on Beatty. if you're in a redraft i mean it's pretty much this is the weekend uh when fab runs are, are happening like if you haven't done it by now i hope you you got (laughs) i hope you're ready to pay up because like pretty much after this weekend I think this is the last sort of stop to to get on the Beatty train uh, before it's it you know it's gone in in every sort of league format there is and honestly on the dynasty side um, you're you're not getting him because if he's not on your team there's really no reason unless you're giving up something ridiculous there's no reason for the manager to trade him at this point because like why wouldn't you just want to wait and see the, the there was actually there was actually a trade in one of my leagues that like just happened that involved oh. Beatty. Um, 
it was like it was like Beatty and Jackson Holiday for like Brandon Woodruff and Glaber Torres and like someone else. Like it was it was like five prospects for five major leaguers or something crazy like that. Hmm, uh, interesting. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. But yeah, it's, it's so you never know. You know if you That's know you true. got yeah. That's true. I guess you you can never say never, but just know that there's a price. Let me let me put it that way. Absolutely, you got to pay. Price. Got to pay. Um, moving on. Uh, I, I talked about basketball before, so I don't know. Jake, are you familiar with like the a league pass team? Like, do you no. know this term? Okay, no. so so this is popular in like NBA circles, where obviously NBA has NBA league pass, so you can kind of follow different teams. And there's always like one or two teams that aren't. They're not necessarily playoff teams, but they're tend to be like very young have like really interesting players. And so they become like, that's the team that you want to watch via league pass because they're always like in a game. They always have something interesting going on. So like the Grizzlies, like John Morant and the Grizzlies were like that, like two or three years ago mm-hmm. before they kind of grew their way into becoming contenders. It was like oh, this kid and like this team, I want to watch them. So I kind of have the Diamondbacks as like early season, like MOB league pass. Um, just right. because, especially from a, a dynasty and prospect standpoint, just everything's fascinating. We've taught pitching in Arizona to death. So, like, take a shot because I'm saying Brandon Fout's name again. So, go ahead. I know you got the drinking game. Uh, Nelson, Jameson, we've talked that through. Obviously, Corbin Carroll. Alec Thompson, uh, I'm sorry, Alec Thomas is starting to show uh, a little bit of um, life at the plate as well. Um, I even have uh, Geraldo Perdomo on here, even though he's hitting uh, 1282 as his OPS and and then I looked at his, his stack ass and it's like, that's definitely coming down because all the <laughs> indicators say like there's no reason for him to be hitting that well. But if you if you've gotten him, you might be able to flip him to somebody who's not as aware and they'll they're buying because he's still very young. Um so they might buy in and say, Oh, Perdomo's finally hitting, and you might be able to kind of, you know, fleece him for something. Um so, I mean, there's just there's there's guys, uh, young guys at pretty much every turn on this team that just make them very interesting. And their and their offense specifically is like they're never really out of a game that that often like they you have to pitch very well continuously to get through their lineup over and over again. I just I kind of have them tabbed early. I don't know if you agree if there's another team that maybe sticks out in your mind that kind of fits that description of they're not a contender, but they have enough kind of young guys on their team that I'm fascinating every time I'm fascinated every time that they're playing. Yeah. I think for me, it's definitely the diamondbacks so far. Um, yeah, for every reason that you just said, you know, um, and they even have like Moreno who was, I think I'm trying to watch yep. a bit more and yep. seeing what he's going to do with, cause he has the opportunity now. And, um, yeah, I think maybe the next one up is like the reds, you know, yes. cause like they have all, they have a lot of guys that are really yep. close and yep. it's great American ballpark. So yep. maybe watch some, I, I think yeah I, well, Actually, before i left Cincinnati, i was like yeah. man i'm gonna go to a bunch of games in like september Aww. you know uh but yeah i know that right <laughs> um but yeah no well, i think that's, they're gonna be exciting call. yeah i think actually for so so at picture list we had for the staff they had the like uh the predictions uh survey that they did did you did you i did yes and I'll be honest, I can't remember everything that I that I put down, but I, I'm pretty sure I put the Reds as like my surprising team. Mm. And my reason was just like I think they're I think they're gonna finish like 10 games under 500 and like in third place right. in, in yeah. the central. And it's just like they have a lot of they're kind of like the the uh island of misfit toys. Like they have a bunch of like parts that aren't they're not super high pedigree necessarily, especially like when you think about position players, but they're all guys that are like huh, if they get enough playing time or like like you said, like 
playing in small park, like that might boost them. Like Will Benson finally is getting some everyday at bats, and Spencer Steer is getting everyday at bats, and you know you kind of kind of go around the horn, and then obviously you have Green and Ashcraft as the two uh, young pitchers, and it's like okay, and and I mean even you can throw in Alexis Diaz um, coming out and Lodolo. And Lado- oh, I, I knew I was missing somebody. Thank you. I, gotta, I was like, Ashcraft and Green, I feel like there's a third. Lodolo, obviously. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that's a good call, too. It's like the Reds are, are kind of fitting that mode as well. I'm always kind of, you know, especially when they're in the early games, I'm always like, oh, let's see what's going on there. And they have these, like, really good matchups. They're playing um Atlanta. So, like, you want to see Atlanta anyway. It's like, oh, they kind of held their own. Okay. Um, So, yeah, speaking of Atlanta, that sends us to – the, the return of Vaughn Grissom. And so I have Grissom in uh, Edward Julian, and this is actually based on a question. So if you guys, uh, if, if you listeners out there aren't aware, um, more reasons why you need to be a, uh, a picture list member. So you can be a member of our discord server. And what we've started recently is having a uh, daily live chats. So from, Monday to actually, I think we have them scheduled through Saturday. So I think there's one actually for today. Um, we have a uh, picture list writer that will chime in for an hour. And it's kind of like if you've done Reddit AMAs, um, and, and obviously we have our own Reddit AMA that we do, it's pretty much the same idea for an hour. You kind of just toss your your questions out there um, and, and the writer will answer. And so I did one this past Wednesday, a lot of fun. And I got this question, so I kind of want to, to bring it in. Um, Vaughn Grissom. Edward Julian, kind of a would you rather, rather there. And what I was saying to the individual is the problem that I have is they're both rookie contributors, but they're both on veteran teams. And I think with Julian, um, unless he just hits the snot out the ball, I feel like once they start to get healthy, there's just not a spot for him because mm-hmm. their their DH spot is taken up by all these corner infielder and outfielders that they have these extra bats that can't play anywhere else. And then obviously there's really no other place you can put him in in the middle of the infield if mm-hmm. you're not going to play him at second base. Yeah. Jorge um, Blanco's coming back from the IL. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think the twins still think that they're contenders. I, I think they still feel right. like they should win the the central at least. Yeah. And like so, ten and four right now or something. Yeah. Like that. So yeah. that and that so that's just going to encourage them to keep going after it. Uh and then obviously Grissom is is here with with uh the injury to Orlando Arcia, but um, I think the decision, the initial decision to option him down kind of tells you everything that the Braves kind of think about him. We heard talk about his defense and that needs to improve. And um, he did have a big double that I just want to say as a side note, uh, I have Brady Singer on my team. That game yesterday was ridiculous. He ends up with eight K's goes six innings, I want to say, but then also gave up eight runs and like three home runs. It was, it was the most ridiculous game ever. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, does does Grissom stick around once Arcia? Uh, comes back healthy, especially because Arcia looked really, really good um, to start with. So it wasn't it? It, it, made, it made the Braves look like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. So I, you know, I would just say if you have either on your team, just be you know leery about the fact that we kind of already know what the teams think about these players, at least in the short term. So you know, you just got to factor that in, and definitely in the redraft scenario. Uh, you got to, you know, be be willing to move quickly off of these these guys just because I don't think they have spots cemented in yet. Right. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think they're both like really exciting, young, promising players. And um, it's just going to be hard for them to carve out like everyday roles if their roster is healthy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so that's kind of a, a real quick look around uh, the league and, and talking about this week in baseball. Again, I want to plug the live chats because um, I think I, not only mine, but all the other ones I've been kind of just keeping an eye on and, and it's a lot of engagement. So if you are a, a picture list member uh, and you weren't aware, you should be in that live chats channel checking it out. And if you're not a picture list member, again, one yet one more reason why you should be. So you can be a part of uh, our server and part of that channel as well. Um, and yeah, it, it, I mean, it's a little bit everything. So we got folks that have redraft, um, you know, background, people that want to talk about the bullpen, talk about fab. We've got writers from, from you know, all over all the different um, formats and topics that you want to talk about. Obviously, I was focusing on prospects and dynasty, as you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, that, I just want to plug that again. With that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and then we're going to jump into these would-you-rather matchups um, right after this. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game-changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back. Uh, so as I said, we have these would you rather matchups. And again, it's just kind of looking at two different players and, and just kind of going through what we're seeing from them and getting an idea of, you know, who would you rather have on your fantasy team. And this is from a, a dynasty perspective kind of specifically. And um, what we did with this group is we were specifically trying to look at players that are all kind of pretty close in experience. So we have kind of prospects that are right on the cusp of promotion. If they haven't gotten promoted already, we have actual rookies. So pretty much like people who broken camp have, have been getting regular major league uh, at bats or innings. And then we have uh, some guys that, uh, have no more than maybe a couple of, of MLB seasons under their belt. So we didn't want to, we didn't want the range to be too wide to make these matchups kind of more relevant and uh, insightful to you all. And so like, like I mentioned, Taj Bradley coming right back to him, we have Todd Bradley and then we have Jake's, the, the Jake's champion, uh, Hayden Wesneski. And, and I told Jake um, off mic, uh, while he was gone, I was getting a lot. I was seeing a lot of um, negative press, right? A lot of negative reaction to Wesneski, and I felt I felt bad because I was like, I got to defend my guy's guy. <laughs> <laughs> like I I don't have an investment, but I know Jake does, and, and Jake's my guy, so I want to defend him. But here we go. So we have Hayden Wesneski, we have Taj, uh, Taj Bradley. I'm going to kind of let you take the floor, uh, Jake, and, and talk us through here. Yeah. So just talked about Bradley, Bradley a little bit earlier. Um, but Wes Nesky, man, oh my goodness. It was, I, I think I watched, um, 
watched the entire start of him against, I think it was the Mariners when it all exploded. Um, and then a little bit of the first one and it was like, it's painful. Um, but you know, so it's like, it's six innings pitched where it's, you know, if we would have looked at like, if there was a six, if he did this and like six innings pitched in like June, it would be like, oof, all right, on to the next. Um, and so it's like, oh, it's a small sample, but at the same time, he isn't, he hasn't really established himself in the major leagues yet. You know, like if, if, um, Charlie Morton has six innings pitched, if, um, like, I don't know who else, like Jordan Montgomery has six innings pitched that are this bad, you know, like, okay, like he'll be fine. We've seen it before. We haven't really seen it before. We saw it a little bit last year, but it was in September. It was like three starts, you know? And so it's harder to look at this and be like, oh, he'll be fine because we haven't super seen what that fine looks like, right, you know? Right. Um, so it definitely kind of changes uh, the outlook. I think I, I'm still cautiously somewhat optimistic. Like I'm not dropping him anywhere. I'm not completely okay. like giving up, moving on. Um, so I think, so I'm looking at like, kind of like his, his like stat lines here, kind of like what he's having issues with. And I think the biggest thing is that he can't put away batters and he's mm-hmm. leaving too many pitches in the heart of the plate. Um, he gets in, He's like 93rd percentile right now for pitches thrown in two strike counts. Like he's he's getting to two strikes. He just can't put anyone away. He has an eleven point four percent strikeout rate, which is atrocious. Um, and he, and I think that's largely because he can't get anyone to chase his pitches. Um, he has a twenty two point five percent chase rate so far. Um, and so it's like, all right, like what's what's happening there? Is it the sequencing? Are, are people laying off the slider? Um, you know, because it's like, whoa, you know, he's like he's getting there, but he just can't finish it off, and he's leaving pitches over the heart of the plate. Um, his like um his walk rate is also horrible so far but at the same time he has a 94th percentile zone rate like he he throws the ball in the zone but like i said it's it's in the middle of the zone it's middle middle vertical horizontal it's it's all right there um and so he's getting hit hard and you know it's you know you look at like kind of pitching models and whatnot which i've talked about before on this show so and, and nothing's really changed a whole lot there um P- plv still loves him uh, but then we, we, I mean, PLV, I think is, uh, when Nick Pollock talked about this on a couple of podcasts about PLV, he's more confident in PLV for hitters, uh, right now than, than pitchers. And, and it's useful still, but it's like not, it's going to be like the only thing that you look at, you know, and, and pitching plus shouldn't be the only thing that you look at because it's all like, if, if you would get a guy in a vacuum that looks incredible, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't super matter if the hitters can still hit it for some reason, right? Like there mm-hmm. is a bit of a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge believer in, in pitch shapes and, mm-hmm. and how that's more predictive than um, results. But at the same time, you still have to look at the results because the results are what you get graded on, you know, right. in, in fantasy right, baseball. Right. So it's uh, right now there's a pretty a largely significant, huge disconnect between the shapes of his pitches, the location, not the locations, the locations haven't been great. Um, but you know, his command of his pitches and, um, and the results. And so it's kind of like, you know, it's only six innings pitched. It's, it's a really, it's kind of like a weird, um, uh, a weird kind of in between area, a gray area, I think. Um, but yeah, he's been bad. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, it was two really bad starts. Um, so I think you said the the most important thing that jumped out, out out of all that, to me, there are two things. First of all, you said you still have confidence you're not dropping him, right? So you still there's still something there. It's cautious optimism. Yeah, might be on the bench, but he won't be dropped. I think on any okay. teams. Fair enough, right? So we want to keep that in mind. And the second thing that you that you talked about is you identified where, like, what the sort of problem area is, right? If he's getting into two strikes, if we know that he can throw strikes, he can get the ball in the zone, but he's not getting guys to chase. He's not getting the K rate that we want to see. 
then that's that's the area that we hope would get concentrated on. Um, right. You watch that and right. your next start, you know, you right. could be like, all right, like, is that, is he, is he finishing? Is right. he getting people to chase? You know, it's right. like, okay. Right. Then you start to like, the hype kind of starts going again. If you see it, even if the results aren't there, if you're right. seeing that, it's like, okay, like right. getting better. Yeah. You like the, you know, if, if you like the process, but it's not the results that you're seeing, then that still gives you something to go off of. Right. So, yeah. Um. So with that being said, so that's what's Nesky. Then we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, Taj Bradley. So we talked through his um, stat line, obviously. He just made the one start. I think for me, uh, you know, it was all about when we were going to see him again. And it looked like he had gotten option down right after his start. And the question was like, okay, is he, should, I, should I keep him around? Is he going to come back? Um, you know, when is he going to come back, et cetera? And then we have the Jeffrey Springs injury. And it seems like we haven't heard official word yet. Um, but it seems like he's going to boomerang. Bradley is going to boomerang right back to Tampa um, and be in line to make, uh, you know, some more starts. We'll see what the extent of Springs actual injury is. Um, so I think obviously if he if he has a solidified place in the rotation um, for this year, especially that's going to boost his value. We know Shane Bass is still out. So when you think from a dynasty perspective, like Bass still has to come back. Um, we expect, uh, you know, next year sometime and springs again we have to see the extent of that injury to see when he might possibly return so you know they have gonna be springs is gonna be uh at least two months okay i saw that last night at least two months okay i the last thing i read was they were they were they were they were were looking at options so i didn't know if they had anything official out or not but two months at least so that gives you something to think about here um for me i think with bradley it's you mentioned something about you know is that K rate going to maintain and, and seeing that dip that we saw from his jump from double A to triple A? I think for me, what I like about Bradley and the way I'm looking at him, let me, let me put it that way is uh, I like the ratio piece that you talked about. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. So I feel good about ERA. I feel good about whip because he stays within the strike zone uh, without giving up way too much contact. And I think anything K-wise is kind of icing on, on the case. I think he has it there. I would expect him to have um, a, a, a K, a K nine. That is like nine per ish. Like, I think he has that. I think if he's, you know, if you're seeing like it's seven or something like that, like that's really low, I would get concerned, but I'm not looking at him to have something extravagant where it's like, you know, 11, 12, you know, point something K, you know, K per nine. Um, but I think he's an SP3 is what I'm kind of driving at. Like, I feel good about Bradley being like that SP3 type. If I'm trying to, you know, create a core four, having him as like my third or fourth guy, I feel good about that. If I have a really robust rotation and, you know, he's maybe even my fifth or sixth guy, I think something like that works as well. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just a, a matter of valuing him appropriately, not putting him, not putting that ace moniker on him. Uh, I don't think that that was ever part of his um, particular profile. And then, of course, knowing how Tampa is with, you know, all their players, pitching included, that mix match that, you know, optioning guys around, um, you know, openers, et cetera. That's all you always have to kind of bake that into uh, how you're valuing their pitching as well. Um, but, yeah, I think Bradley, for me, I love the start um, against, a, you know, pretty good Red Sox team, not not that not not great, but you know, decent. Um, making Devers look the way he made Devers look. I mean, that's that's something because uh, that's not nothing uh, with Rafael Devers. 
And um, and also the 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 hype and the you know bit of early season pressure the the race win streak was still going so you know that's still on the line etc. Uh, I I just like the overall performance. I like the way that he was able to kind of uh, get gather himself after that first inning because I think there was a lot of um, the broadcast that I was watching talked about like he he kind of was like extra amped and the command wasn't as precise in that first you know inning two innings which. Not surprising for a guy making his first major league start, right? Especially a, a pretty young guy. Um, but you know, second, third, fourth inning, like that goes on, and he's way more under control than uh than he was to start. So with that being said, um the question remains, like, would you rather Wesneski, Bradley, you gotta pick one, who would you rather, Jake? I have my answer. Who would you rather? For Dynasty keep forever i think i have to go still with Wesneski, uh which probably isn't i mean i i think i'm still feeling good about it because i we're talking about maybe having him for a full career i, I gotta go with Wesneski. rest of season i'd probably lean more towards bradley mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think for me um based on and and i haven't looked i haven't invested as deeply into Wesneski as as you kind of have but you know i was a fan of him i I liked the way the cubs kind of grabbed him from um from oakland and and i was interested in seeing how he was going to do um i think if i had to pick one i probably align i think i probably align with your thought process right i think rest of this season i probably go with bradley especially from the ratio standpoint i think him (laughs) it's actually funny him not necessarily having a solidified spot means that like he may not hurt my ratios as much because he might get some favorable matchups. Um, but then with Wesneski, I think for the rest of the career, uh, you know, I think there's something there with Wesneski still. So is he going to be an out, out better pitcher than Bradley? I don't know if I can say that at this point, but do I think that he's going to be valuable in somebody that I rather keep on my um, team than, you know, have to go out and try to trade for because I dropped him too early or um, try to have to bid back because I dropped him too early. Like, I'd much rather have him just keep him on my squad. So I think I'm going to stick with you, Jake, and say Wesneski for keeper and dynasty purposes, Bradley for maybe a redraft, uh, you know, rest of season purpose. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so next matchup, I, I think this is an interesting one. These are two outfielders. This is Milwaukee's uh, Garrett Mitchell uh, going against Jake McCarthy. So definitely similarities as far as plate appearances, um, 46 for Mitchell, 45 for McCarthy, but differences as far as counting stats um, and average. Um, Garrett Mitchell, so the question here, and I see you have it in the outline, Jake, is like, is the the power legitimate, right? Is, is, this, is, is he finally tapping into – um, being able to show us the power to go along with uh, his excellent speed. Um, so we have a barrel rate that's exactly the same as last year, um, 61 batted ball events uh, combined, and you have um, more more meaningful uh, numbers that are coming out of this. So walk us through what you're seeing with Mitchell, uh, and then we can jump into McCarthy as well. Yeah, so with with Mitchell, uh, you know, what we saw last year when the Brewers brought him up, it was like, oh, this isn't someone that we really expected to have power based on the minor league output, um, but he's hitting the ball hard. Interesting. Like, see if that continues into next season. And then he came out and, like, he he did. He's 
almost he's like like I said, like you said, almost the same barrel rate. Um, his ex woba on contact has been fantastic. It's like in like the four fifties, which is like insane. Um, he has max exit velocity of one twelve point three, which is fantastic for a speedster. Um, and you know his he's still very fast. His sprint speed, home to first base, is still elite. Um, but then you have this kind of little nagging thing that's just waiting this little troll under the bridge that's waiting when you're talking about young players with power speed combos and that's the strikeout rate oh the strikeout rate it's horrible it's 34.8 percent so far this year um his walk rate isn't great it's 6.5 percent um so bbk is horrible um but you know i guess the silver lining would be that he improved it from last year last year it was like a 41 something percent strikeout rate so he improved it you know but it's still very very bad um, so with Mitchell, yeah, you got like this really interesting kind of like raw skills. He's very fast. He's okay. Like he has more power than we thought. Um, and then kind of on the other side of the coin, you have McCarthy who is, who showed us power last year and his results, but the underlying kind of like the hard hit rate and the barrel rate and everything wasn't there. And so it was like, Ooh, there's a disconnect he came out this year and he's kind of seeing the um coming coming back down to earth with the power right it's like okay like none of his kind of a his uh other stats have improved like his his still keeping the same kind of bail rates and hard hit rates and um being really low and he hasn't hit a homer yet and that's kind of like all right like i think this is kind of like more what, what we can expect like very low home run rates but but the um promising aspect there is that he has improved his contact rates about his zone contact his overall contact rates uh his expected batting average has gone up is in like 270 272 right now um so then if you're thinking like all right well we have maybe a, a guy with a decent batting average maybe 260 270 with elite speed scores and runs in that improving diamondbacks lineup with the with the fun roster there could score a bunch of runs potentially mm-hmm. and so then you know you're looking at like two players who have kind of like flip-flop from what we would have expected from them based on their results and Mitchell for the minors and, and McCarthy had went after he got called up last year so um yeah I think it just kind of depends on what you're what you're looking for you got maybe some power here but like maybe a batting average sink and Mitchell and then McCarthy who could be better at batting average than we expected but not as much power as we expected yeah and I think um I was just taking a look and, and seeing that like Mitchell hasn't uh logged any stolen bases yet McCarthy has a couple so that's kind of just uh, not, yeah, not necessarily that's a good actionable point. but it's just kind of interesting uh because we know Mitchell is very fast and obviously with stolen bases being uh so increased this year is just kind of interesting to know he stole eight bases last year for the Brewers and like I think it was like 65 plate appearances mm-hmm. but you know it's one of those things where if, you know if you're hitting home runs but not making very good contact anywhere else, like and out on base to steal bases. So, yep, yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, I don't. I, I'll be honest. You, you kind of nailed this. I don't really have much to add. Well, I well, that's a lie. Of course, I always have an opinion, right? <laughs> um, I, I guess the thought process is, if I have Mitchell, I feel like he's my fourth or fifth outfielder, depending obviously on, on roster. Um, but somebody that I, I'm hoping edges into my top three outfielders. If I have McCarthy, I feel like he's solidly a fourth or fifth outfielder. Like if I have McCarthy as one of my top three outfielders, I'm probably, my team's probably not that good or like it's over indexed in like another area like pitching and, and I'm struggling at offense. So I think where you kind of have them in your roster construction plays a, a big part in your, uh, your valuation here. 
what I'll say, I mean, if we get into a would you rather, for me, I think I'm taking Mitchell just because I like I I also what I also like is um I don't see Mitchell um possibly losing his spot, right? Like Mitchell is is, is one of their outfielders of the future. To have Weimer up, Freelick will be there at some point in time. But I don't think Mitchell loses his spot with those other two. Like I think they envision an outfield eventually of all three of them there at some point in time with McCarthy McCarthy's a little bit older um not you know not by much but has a couple extra years and I don't necessarily know that the Diamondbacks have him I mean Drew Jones is is years away like let's be honest even if he's it just goes bonkers he's still multiple years away you have Thomas up you have Carroll finally um but like are, would they be willing to part ways with McCarthy? Would they be willing to platoon McCarthy if McCarthy, you know, struggles in, in areas or starts to um starts to slump in some areas? That's just like open speculation. I don't know. Um, you know, how they how how Arizona views him. Um, obviously I don't we don't talk contracts here, so I don't know anything contract wise about what they would or wouldn't do. It's just for me, I, I just I'll I'll go with the youth and being part of the youth movement for a team that obviously is trying to pivot that way um, and trying to make that, that jump into, we were contenders, our window's kind of closing, but we have some young guys that are still pretty talented. And like, how can we, how can we bring them along uh, so that we don't have to completely rebuild? I'll take Mitchell having a solid spot there versus the Diamondbacks being like, Hey, we kind of had to strip everything down uh try to rebuild but we do have these weird like veterans and and like cast offs um you know i like the dimebacks we just talked about them being like the league pass team but from a valuation standpoint i still don't know exactly what their plan is um enough to to bet on a guy like mccarthy in the long run so that's that's me i i say mitchell over mccarthy yeah, I think I, I probably agree with you there. Uh, I hope we disagree at some point in this episode. But <laughs> um, I will say that I think I'm a little bit more optimistic on McCarthy in general. Um, because, like, I think before this season, it was, like, um, one of the big debates around him was, like, is he going to play enough? And are they going to platoon him? They have um, Lourdes Goriel to, you know, hit against uh, against lefties. They have a lot of lefties in their lineup. and um, But, like, so far he has played, I think, just about every day. Uh, in the last week, he's the Diamondbacks have faced uh, three lefties and he's played against two of them. Um, he's hitting sixth in the order most of the time looks like. Um, and so he, I think his defense is, is a big part of that. Um, and I, and then like looking behind him, I don't know as of right now, I don't know who's exactly going to challenge him. They have like um, Paven Smith. Uh, look, it's, it feels like I'm missing. Some, Kyle Lewis is on the injured list. That was the other one that was going to potentially cause an issue. Um, and then, yeah, looking at their minor league roster, I don't see, I feel like I'm missing someone. Someone must've been DFA'd at some point. Cause I thought there was someone else in the conversation earlier, but regardless, um, I, I think his spot is pretty safe, um, this year, especially since I think he's underperforming, uh, right now compared to like how well he's actually hitting the ball and his kind of expected numbers, you know? So I think that he can kind of, um, carve out a nice role for himself as he starts to like more balls start to find grass, you know? Um. And so I'm more optimistic on McCarthy. Uh, and long term, I you know he's still he's not quite 26 yet, and he I think he can kind of get through his prime before Jones even comes up, you know. 
Um, so I think we're going to get a couple good years out of them. But I, at the same time, I think I have to go Mitchell just because of I think the upside is higher with the power um, if you can kind of because uh, like was it do you have his minor league uh, um, numbers handy by chance Mitchell's because like I don't remember him being a huge strikeout like problem. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, I was going to say I don't have it up, but I can try to. Grab uh, it. Let's see here. But so, you're saying you're saying you don't. Uh, him having a, a high K rate. Yeah. So it looks like uh, I'm, 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 I'm a optimistic that it can get better because it's his first a hundred and like 20, 130 plate appearances in the, in the big leagues. Um, and in triple a, he had a 21% strikeout rate in 85 plate appearances. Double a was a 27.8. So that's a little higher. So I, I think it's, there's still room. He's still 24. Um, We'll see how he improves there, but I think the kind of the upside with the with the power that he's shown is a nice surprise, and I think that that could um, really vault him if he can put it all together. So I think I'm gonna go with Mitchell for Dynasty. All right, um, I'm with you. Maybe maybe we'll get to disagree. Maybe this one will get to disagree. I don't know. Um, staying in Milwaukee for a second, we have Joey Weimer, uh, and then going uh, to Detroit, we have Kerry Carpenter. Um, Carpenter, of course, kind of jumped on the scene last year in the minor leagues, um, putting up some some really big home run totals, and then uh, made his major league debut late in the season for the Tigers. And then he's come back around this year uh, as the Tigers cast about for anything offensively, really anything at any facet of the game that's positive. <laughs> um, so, so looking at Joey Weimer, his stat line: forty eight plate appearances, one ninety five, a home run four runs, four RBIs, two stolen bases. And we do know stolen bases is part of his game. He has that power speed combo as well, similar to um, Mitchell. And so I was just kind of looking at some some choice numbers here. Chasing and swing and strike numbers, um, respectively, 38 point, uh, I'm sorry, 35.8% for the chase rate and 13.7% for swing and strike rate. Both are over the league average, but his contact numbers, his overall contact and his end zone contact specifically um, are actually average or better. So I think it kind of balances itself out looking at his numbers, and that's good considering um, we know Weimer has been aggressive in his minor league career as far as a swinger, um, and that is, is always been kind of the risk in his game is he can get a little bit overly aggressive um, going after some pitches that he shouldn't and then getting away from being able to really tap into that power uh, that he has because he has really good um, – he put up really good EVs uh, that we were – uh, told it as far as throughout the minor leagues so then thinking about that looked at swing aggressiveness thanks to our handy dandy plv and um per plv the aggressiveness and just to explain what that is how much more often a hitter swings at pitches uh given the swing likelihoods of this the pitches that they face so how much more likely um is a any particular hitter um going to swing at you know a, a fastball a sinker, cutter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so overall, and this is in uh, percentages, um, his swing aggressiveness is 8.2%. So well under uh, what it looks like the league average is so far. And just to give you an idea of like who that puts him in in league with, that's Manny Machado territory. Uh, that's JT Real Muto territory. Um, also fellow rookie Logan Ohapi, who, uh, you know, has been dynamite. I just thought that that was interesting. That kind of puts him in that realm. So not super aggressive, right? Like not really super aggressive uh, swingers, uh, especially when you think about Machado and Real Muto. 
Um, but the big issue that we're seeing for Weimer right now is he has a launch angle of three degrees. That's that's not good, in case you weren't aware. Um, and it that's proven with his ground ball rate, which is fifty three point. Uh, I'm sorry, fifty three percent. So obviously, if he's hitting the ball, uh, he's not being overly aggressive. He's, um, you know, there is some some swing and miss to his game, but he's not going way out of his way to to swing at pitches um that you know he he can do something with but what he's making contact with is um all on the ground because he's not lifting the ball at all that's you know going to drive low batting average obviously uh lack of home runs and just lack of extra base hits if and when he begins to elevate those pitches then i think you know the ball takes off his bat then we start to see a little bit more joy there um as far as the extra base hits um so that's that's Weimer. If we look at Carpenter and kind of looking at the same sort of measurements, 33 plate, plate appearances. So there's a little bit more of a platoon situation with Carpenter and also just um, how he fits into their outfield plans um, because he's not super strong defensively. He's not the worst, but he's corner outfield guy, DH. You know, the Tigers roster is kind of a mess, as, as we should know. Um, so it doesn't get the same number of everyday at-bats, but 33 plate appearances. 214 uh, average home run, four runs, two RBI, no stolen bases, and, and there's no speed in, in Carpenter's game really at all. Uh, but swing aggressiveness, swing aggressiveness, 10%, so a little bit higher, but not anything crazy. Chase percentage is 31%, so we're actually talking about something that's closer uh, to that league average swing and strike percent, 14.3. Uh, but here it is, launch angle, negative 1.4 degrees negative 1.4 degrees so like beating the ball into the dirt 50 percent ground ball rate so very similar there uh but the bigger difference between carpenter and weimer 66 uh, percent contact rate uh, overall uh and that is also at 80.6 percent end zone contact rate so much lower on, on the contact rate uh than than weimer is showing and i think for me it's an easy would you rather because uh, not only is Weimer already showing, you know, b- these better uh, indicators, but again, I like his future in the Milwaukee outfield. I like the fact that he brings stolen bases part of his game. Um, and I like the fact that I don't have to worry about him. Or I shouldn't have to worry about him possibly being platooned like I do with Carpenter being a, a lefty um, that can't really play much anywhere else defensively either so for me i don't know about you jay but for me this is an easy joy rumor i have a feeling with the shake of your head we're in agreement for a third time in a row uh but oh no we're not no oh no. perfect okay <laughs> talk to me jay you were shaking your all head right, yeah, all right and now you're shaking your head no talk to me fair um no so i think i uh leading carpenter here uh, because he is hitting the daylight out of the ball also so you said what was the zone contact rate that you and who, who, where did you get it from? So end zone, this is, this is from his pitcher list, um, player page. So right. I have his overall contact being 66% and his end zone contact being 80.6. Fascinating. Man, okay. So I, lesson to listeners like, for all of us, I guess, like there's, there could be some pretty drastic differences between what sites you're using and then how they qualify what, what's in the zone and what's out of the zone, I guess. But so fan graphs has his overall contact rate very similar at 67.9% and then his zone contact at 86.2%. I mean, I'll double check my word. Difference. I mean, double check uh, that I didn't mess up a percentage. 
I mean, I, I, that's also very common seeing things like that. And especially, and also like on launch angle stuff, ground ball rates, pull rates and things like that. It's usually very different depending on where you're looking at it. So, um, so yeah, so that, I think that's just kind of like a be wary of kind of where you're, where you're looking and kind of like, I, I don't know how they quantify each one, but, but anyway, um, so Joey Weimer is, I, I was shocked to see that he has a very low strikeout rate um so far and like you're talking about he's not super aggressive um so i think that makes sense and maybe that's how he's kind of like addressed it because like he was showing some potential strikeout issues in last year in double a and mm-hmm. then after he was promoted he dropped his strikeout rate and improved his walk rate so um he's looking at right now a 22.9 percent strikeout rate and a 14.6 percent walk rate in his 48 plate appearances in the majors this year um so that's really good um, but then you look at his uh, chase rate, um, and that's a lot higher. That's at 36 on fan graphs. It's at 36%. Um, and yeah, zone contact on here is 84. So, um, you know, so it's like, all right, so he's chasing a lot, uh, but he is um, somehow not, you know, striking out. Maybe it's because he's not super aggressive. Um, oh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But um so yeah, so it's like okay, like you know, is it legit? How long is it gonna hold up? I like the walk rate, um, I like the power, um, and so yeah. But like you said, with the launch angle issues, um, he doesn't have a lot of like barrels or hard hit balls so far. Um, but he doesn't have as many bad ball events as Carpenter. What I love about Carpenter is that he has hit the daylights out of the ball. He's like leading baseball, I think, right now in. Um, in barrel rate or like just about, I just had it up barrels to BBE percentage. Yeah. 31.6% leads the major leagues, uh, just above Matt Chapman and Brandon Lau. Um, and obviously that's a super small sample. Um, but he showed it like last year, you know, in his, um, and after he got called up last year, he had an 11.1% barrel rate in 72 batted balls. Um, and then he came up this year and he's just like kind of continuing that. And obviously he's not going to carry, that high of a barrel rate for the whole year. I think judge last year had like a 23% over the full season. So it'll probably drop down, but if he can keep it at about a dozen, uh, which is kind of where he was a little lower than where, or a little higher than where he was last year, um, 11 to 12, maybe I think that's legit. Um, he does play in a horrible ballpark, but, um, another thing that I forgot to, right. But yeah, yeah. that's, that's a huge difference. I mean, we're seeing with, pretty much all the Tigers hitters, man. And the, and the Tigers are horrible offense. <laughs> the team context isn't good. The ballpark context isn't good. But I think I want to see how his uh, better ball data plays out because he's got a 573 X Wobo on contact, 47% hard hit rate, um, 27% strikeout rate, but manageable if you can also just hit the ball as well as he is. Uh, 273 X batted average. So, um so yeah, I, I like Carpenter's ability to uh, make good contact and hit the ball really hard. Um, I think that uh, I would run with him instead of Weimer um, because I don't know. I don't really know what to make of Weimer's approach. Or Carpenter, I'm pretty like, like he's not gonna maybe make as much contact, but he's gonna make good contact. Yeah, I mean, I think my my your argument is sound. My my pushback against that outside we talked about like team context the the ballpark obviously my ultimate one is you you just kind of said like um Weimer's approach we're not really you know not really too sure which I agree with but to me I'm taking that in the positive of there's a young hitter 
and I and I want to say I, I I didn't do the due diligence, and I apologize to listeners, um, because I wanted to pull up his background, uh, to see like how long he had been playing, um, playing ball, because I wanted to say he's like relatively like newer, if if that makes sense, um, uh, I don't know, I feel like I read something, I could be getting people confused, but th- before I get off track there, the the point of what I'm trying to say is I feel like there's enough, um change to his game for him to learn and adapt whereas i think carpenter already i feel like i kind of know what type of ball player he's going to be and it's kind of it's just one that doesn't appeal to me in the long term over a guy like weimer like i feel like i can find a carry carpenter at any point in time in in any given season that i that's that's ultimately what i'm coming down to i think i can find somebody that gives me what carpenter gives me as far as like he can only play these couple of positions. He's probably going to sit against most lefties. He's not going to be great for RBIs or runs because his team is bad, but he'll give you some home runs. Um, you know, his OBP will be okay. I don't play in bad and average leagues typically, but like the average won't sink you. It's just like, I can find that guy. I can find, cause like, <laughs> and this might be blasphemy, but is there a big difference between like what he does and what like Gavin Sheets does? Yeah, I think uh, I think so. I, okay. I think Gavin Sheets has had his opportunities. I think and, that well, but that's what I'm saying is like. But I feel like yeah. in in a couple of years, that's what we're going to say about Kerry Carpenter. That's my point. Is like I feel like in, <laughs> in two or three years, we're going to be like ah, we kind of know what this guy is, and like yeah, okay. he'll get you because like Gavin Sheets will get you some home runs when he plays. Uh, we know he can't play outfield. He showed us that the other day. Like, um, so he's kind of stuck at like trying to play first base or DH. And I think uh, Carpenter is a better fielder. But you know that that's what I mean is I, I I feel like we were waiting for sheets and waiting for like is there another level to it? Um, he didn't necessarily have all the opportunities because of how much talent was around him coming up with the White Sox. But then also when he did get the opportunities, he kind of solidified who he was as a player. And here we are. He's twenty seven, I think. This is his year 27 season. And it's like, okay, but I can find him on the wire like when I need it, or I can make a simple trade to like get a guy like that. And Carpenter is just striking me as a similar player profile, even though you're right. He's not there yet. He still is young as far as major league experience, but just everything about what he's producing is I, I'm not excited to go after him. Whereas Weimer, I'm like, hmm, he could absolutely hit a hit a slump where it's like, oh, this guy's like a 230 you know, average like barely 300. Yeah. When he runs into a, a pitch, it can go far, but he can also like swing and miss at almost everything. He can absolutely be that guy, but there's enough there for me to be like, or he could be, you know, 250, three, 340. Give me 20 home runs and 12 stolen bases. Okay. Like that, like that, there's enough there for me to be curious. I'm not curious with Kerry Carpenter. That's me. Yeah, I, I think it's when you're looking at um, that's a good point when you're look, actually looking at like actual fantasy output, like what can we expect from his stat line? Um, I think there was a better or an easier, clearer path for Weimer to get value. I think the stolen bases really helps um, and potentially the on base percentage. Um, I'm a little weary about the batting average um, and I think I'm a little bit more confident in Carpenter's batting average. Um, but yeah, Carpenter isn't going to steal as much. You know, if he like he could hit the ball as hard as he wants, but like we haven't like we've talked about it before. There's some guys that are just like hit the ball really well, but they, just, they don't ever really work out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's I, I think that for me, 
I want to see how um, how Carpenter plays out this year. Like I'm willing to kind of like take the chance while he's still he's 20. This is his age 25 season. I think I want to give him that age 25 season and see if he can kind of become a little bit more. You know, I think because if you know if Weimer's hitting, um, you know, if Weimer he has the uh, he has the really good like raw power. You know, so I'm not going to say that he can't hit 30 homers. Um, but I think as of right now, I think I could see Carpenter hitting more homers. Um, or at least having the power. God, I, the um, Comerica man. It yeah, sucks. I was gonna say that. It's like the, <laughs> the ballpark isn't gonna do it for him because I, I, I yeah. would, I would say like, yeah, I see. I'm, I'm on your wavelengths as far as like, Weimer has that power, but the contact is never gonna be there. It's probably not gonna be there enough for him ever to get into that thirty home run room. Is to me, okay. Let me and I, you guys know I hate player like straight up player comps, but when I think about like reminiscent i talked about gavin sheets with um carpenter i'm thinking about hunter renfro right where it's like renfro can hit 220 he can hit 250 depending on the season but he's almost always going to give you like 25 plus home runs like that's almost guaranteed as long as he's healthy like that piece is almost guaranteed um weimer is almost like a mini me version of that to me like his player profile is like a mini me version of that like the batting average, absolutely, it could it could TikTok all like all over the place, but stolen bases and home runs, I feel like that's always going to be there for him. And like I said, that just makes me more curious than than what Carpenter is bringing. I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. makes any sense. I don't know if there's any logic yeah. to that. But no, I think I agree. With, and I think most people would probably agree with you. <laughs> and it helps that Weimer has the um, uh, the prospect pedigree. You know, he's been on top 100 lists. He's been on um, the radar a lot. Carpenter was a uh, 19th round pick in 2019 overall 562 yeah. and so you know it's not like this is someone with like a huge like um, past of being like super well regarded um, I think for me it's just someone that was coming up and um, like we saw ISO numbers of uh, over 300 last year in double A AA and triple A and then he's coming up and and hitting the ball really really well and that's something that I probably put almost too much stock in <laughs> is, is things like barrel rate and yeah. and you know um, hard hit rates and things like that um, because man, it's fun to watch. And yeah. so I think, I, I think that we'll see how it goes. I, yeah. I think I, I definitely see uh, the path for Weimer and how it's a little easier for him. It's more, many more paths to value. And, and we've kind of known about him for longer. Um, so yeah, I could, I mean, I could definitely see it. I think I'm just kind of like seeing, I was like, maybe there's another level. Yeah. No, stand, you know, stand, stand, stand in your truth. Stand <laughs> in your truth. Um, All right. So we're going to take a break. We, we went a little bit longer on, on these three than I think we planned. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, we still have a group and I think we might have to pare down this group because um, we are going a little bit long, but we still have some other would you rather that we want to jump into after this break. All right, and we are back. Um, so yeah, we have uh, like a whole bunch of of names here, but again, I know we're running long, and we still want to talk through um, some very specific guys that I want to talk through. So I'm going to kind of cherry pick this, if that's okay, uh, with you, Jake. The first one I want to go to is actually um, one of the hottest hitters out right now, and that's Jared Kellenick. Mister Kellenick, everybody's talking about him, right? Uh, would you rather Jared Kellenick or James Outman? And we mentioned Outman before. And it's it's interesting to kind of just compare these guys. We we have the stat lines here. Um, let's do it like this, Jake. Tell us what Kellenick's stat line, what we have in, in the outline here. And I'll do Outman's. 
All right, so Kelnick in 45 plate appearances in the major leagues this year. He is hitting 366 with four home runs, seven runs, and seven RBIs, and two stolen bases. And so Outman has 49 plate appearances, hitting 282, three home runs, eight runs scored, 10 RBI, two stolen bases. Way more similar than what you may have expected. Definitely more similar than what I expected. Obviously, the, the batting average is the big differentiator here um, between the two, but everything else, very close in line. Um, Kellenick doing some digging, uh, does have the inflated BABIP, so 440 BABIP. I think we can expect that that's going to um, come down some. It may not come down a lot, and, and we're going to talk about why in, in one second, but I think we can expect like it's not going to be over 400 for the rest of the season. Um, does still have higher than average K rate, 26.7%. And I know I've seen some folks online kind of continue to point at that K rate of like, don't be fooled. Um, so just something to keep in mind, but regard, regarding that high BABIP, 86.5% end zone contact. And again, that's from the picture list player page for him. So, I mean, everything in the zone, he is hitting like almost that's, that's, you know, 86%. You're almost talking about getting close to 90. He's hitting everything that's in the zone. So I think that can drive a, a, a higher than average or higher than normal BABIP and keep that batting average piece very high. Um, and then for Altman, when we look at things, uh, that launch angle piece, again, 2.1 degrees is the launch angle. So still good number of ground balls, 28.6% K rate. So also higher than the average. Uh, a more kind of um, sustainable or closer to sustainable BABIP, uh, 386 is the BABIP there. So I think that's still high, but not like, wow, that really has to come down. Um and then the end zone contact is a big differentiator there. 69.1%. We were both surprised by this when, when I pulled that number um, as we're getting ready. 69.1% is the end zone contact for Outman. So thinking about these two, uh, somebody asked me about Kellenick. Uh, it was either in the live chat or in the uh, the Friday um, AMAs that we have on Reddit, uh, which is hosted by Scott Shu. Shout out to Scott Shu, by the way, welcoming some, some twins. Um, so shout out to him and his family. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was one of those two places that somebody asked me about Kalanick and I said, I think with Kalanick, you have to kind of take that label off the, the can, right? Like you have to stop looking at it, but like Jerry Kalanick, super high pedigreed prospect, all these expectations, like take, take that away and just look at him as here's an outfielder who the first year or so, um, struggled to, to kind of get themselves right. Had to make some mechanical changes that option, you know, up and down, and now it looks like they're making a, a change for the positive. And if you just look at them through that lens, I think you can buy what he's what he's selling, right? I think you can invest in them. Um, I just don't think you can look at him as wild Jared Kelnick, and now he's going to be 300, you know, 30 home run, just, cont- you know, 10 stolen bit. Like, I don't know if he's that guy. 300... 20 something home runs and i mean the stolen base thing is again inflated but you know and and definitely in a in a good run environment because of uh how good the mariners are as far as uh as a team i think that's fine but i'm just i'm leery about looking at him still through the lens of what we thought he was going to be versus what he's kind of shown us right now um that so that's me about kelly what what are your thoughts about outman and then we can talk about would you rather yeah, I think Outman, um, Outman's an interesting guy because he, um, you know, kind of came 
from nowhere a little bit. Um, but he's just always hit. He's always hit in the minors, man. It was uh, his way to runs created plus numbers have been 136, 136, 138, and 144 across high A, double A, triple A, uh, 21, 21, and 2022. So, like, he's just been hitting. And he, where was he drafted? He was drafted 224 overall in 2018, uh, round seven. And so, um, you know, I don't think he was really high on many, you know, prospect lists or anything like that. And, um, but he's just like, he's turned into a hitter. Um, I think I was definitely, yeah, I was definitely surprised about how his, his issues with contact and, and he has carried like pretty high strikeout rates in the minors and, um, a high strikeout rate in the majors uh, across all of his plate appearances, which is 65 major league plate appearances. He has a 32.3% strikeout rate. So um, I think that's definitely a problem, but um, he's, you know, we're, I mean, it was the same issue with Kelnick uh, for the longest time and it still kind of is. So, um, you know, Outman, he, um, you know, has the issue with his, um, with his launch angle. Like you said, he's hitting a lot of balls into the ground, um, but he has a good fly ball rate. Um, so that's good. If we're going to, you know, talk about him as a power hitter, he hits the ball very hard. Um, you know, his X stats look solid. Uh, his exit velocities look good. Barrel rates look good. So, um, you know, I think, I think Outman is, I, I like him, you know, I think he's kind of come out of, come out of nowhere and just like, just hit, like I said. So, um, I, I, I like him and Kelnick, it, like you said, you kind of take, I got to take the label off. You got to like look at him differently and like looking at us, looking at him this year and the kind of, you know, improvements that he's made. Um, it's hard to not get a little excited, I think. Yeah, I think so. So would you rather, right? For me, would I rather rest of the season, right? So if I'm in about a redraft or something like that, rest of season, I think I'll go with Kelnick. I'll ride the hot hand, right? For a dynasty of keeper purposes, I think I slightly lean towards Outman. And I think the only reason why, the only real reason why I can say that is because if they continue, if both of their seasons and, and what they're showing underlying continue this parallel, and, and let's say that differentiator continues to be the, the end zone contact, the bad bip, and, and all driving that batting average, right? So Kellenick has the much higher average. Than, than what Altman has. But power, everything else kind of remains similar. Why would I not want the cheaper option? Because again, Kelnick is always, it's going to continue to be expensive because he's Jared Kelnick. And now that he's hitting well, that's going to drive the prices. Where just like what you said, because everybody's saying, oh, well, he is him now, right? Like, oh, this is what we were waiting for. Well, I can get that from Altman. <laughs> and it, it will not cost me what it will cost for Kelnick, if I don't already have Outman on my team, right? Um, unless, I mean, you have to be dealing with a very savvy manager to try to extract the same sort of, for them to try to ex- extract the same sort of value from from you. But for most, they'll be like, oh, Jerry Kelnick? No, I need an arm, a leg, a pint of blood, this, that, and the third. And Outman, they'll say like, oh, no, I'll just, and I'm getting the same guy. Outfielder, right? He's going to fit in. And depending on my my team context in in the dynasty he's probably going to be my f- my third or my fourth outfielder right so he's probably not part of my like one of my top two outfield contributors um yeah really good team consistent playing time good run environment ballpark doesn't doesn't you know hurt him specifically 
yeah, like I, I that for me is just it's just a cost analysis of I would just take the cheaper option if I'm getting the same production. Yeah, I think um, I I think right now there's the, the same production, but I could see Kelnick kind of pulling away over the course of his career um, because also with without men. I think the Dodgers aren't going to run with their current roster for very long. I think this year was kind of a year to pull back and like save up some money mm-hmm. um, because next off season, I think they're going to go after Otani. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to go after, um, I think they're, I mean, they're going to keep being the Dodgers. Right. And I think this year they kind of had, you know, Vargas comes up and, and uh, develops a bunch. They have David Peralta in their starting lineup a lot right now. Right. Um, Miguel Rojas is their starting shortstop. Right. I think we talked. To, um, I think Nate and I talked about it. Like I said, like this is the lineup, or maybe it was you and I. I can't even remember now. But like this is the lineup that the Dodgers are going to run out, and like they're still succeeding, and that's part yeah. of like that Dodger magic. But then it's also like they know that it's not sustainable. They know that they right. can't they're going to go out and get some guys. And I think that I think that when they do that, when they improve the team, I think that Outman could find himself on the outside looking in. Gotcha. Um, because they haven't really they haven't really invested a whole lot in him. Um, you know, he wasn't like a high draft pick. He wasn't a huge prospect. I think he's a guy that they're like, oh, okay, like, cool. Right. We'll free, ride this hot hand. Found money, right? It's found money, money, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if we've seen that they see him as like their, you know, center fielder, left fielder of, of the, the future, future you yeah. know? Because I think true. if they can go out and spend the money to get someone better, I don't think that Outman is going to keep them from doing that. That's true. Um, so I think my response would be Dynasty. I think I'd still, I'd keep, uh, I'd go with Kelnick. Um, because I think that the Mariners have already invested a ton into them. And now that they're seeing the returns, I think that they um, are going to be more likely to build around like him and Julio. And uh, they also just don't spend the money that the Dodgers do to go out and get someone that can replace Kelnick as easy. So I think that, yeah, I mean, that's true. That's true. No, I it's hard to argue against that point. Um, that makes a ton of sense. The investment definitely is there. Uh you know, I, I thought for a second, I was like, ah, well, the Mariners did move like Noel v, uh Noel v. Marte, and he was kind of a, a big name guy, but I mean, he was still in the minors. They didn't know what they had with yeah. him. Like, Kalinick's already up. They're already waiting for that return to come back. Now it is. Yeah. So I could think, you say, yeah. with Trader Jerry being the GM of the Mariners, could you say that if he hasn't already been dealt, he's not going to? Because no. like I, I no no because you can never tell. <laughs> I mean, listen, Jerry would Jerry would trade you just it would just get the itch. It's just like yo. This team is yeah. too settled. Well, then, well, then why hasn't he traded Kelnick yet? I, well, I guess the value hasn't been right. very good. I mean, yeah. value hasn't yeah. been there. And I'm just saying, like, I, with yeah. with with him, him and Preller, it's just like we'll trade. Yeah, you can never you don't get too don't get too sure. We'll trade. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I understand what you're saying, but I don't think you can throw the the the, the logic of Jerry DeFoto into the mix here. But everything else you else that you. Um, outlined yeah i can't honestly argue with it with any sort of logic um i guess it's more of a feeling of i just you know maybe i'm just a cheap guy so i just go with the cheaper option um but <laughs> yeah fair. i mean yeah, does, does james outman what does james outman have to do to become like you said to be the one of the outfielders of the future for the dodgers to keep them from going and trading for a guy or signing a guy uh and and putting him in a position where he's platooned or you know, just coming off the bench as a as a pinch hitter type in general. Um, he, I mean, part of me says like, oh, we, we were joking about him kind of doing a Cody Bellinger impersonation. And it's like, well, if they were able to, you know, if they were okay with cutting ties with Bellinger and like, yes, Bellinger was really bad, but he had also been really good and had been more of a, whole, uh, a high profile 
pick for them or high profile prospect, I should say, for them. And if they're willing to cut bait there, then why wouldn't they be, you know, willing to cut bait with Outman? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I still, again, I, I, maybe I'm just a cheap guy, but I think your logic is sound. I, I can't, like I said, it, it, then we're just getting into, like, preference. I, I can't say that there's anything uh, against the what you just outlined. So I think that's smart. That's real smart. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I want to see if we can squeeze in two more. Another guy that's super hot, Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, would you rather Ryan Mountcastle or Vinny Pasquantino? Um, and this is interesting. You outlined that they both play in horrible offense, uh, uh, ballparks for offense. Um, it's funny because the way it's written, it says horrible offensive home parks. And it's like offensive takes two different meanings. <laughs> They're but horribly offensive. <laughs> They're horribly <laughs> offensive. Um, but yeah, so, so you have Kaufman's uh, factor for lefties is uh, 23rd in the major leagues. Obviously, you know about uh, Camden and, and the new left field wall. Their park factor for righties is 26th in major leagues uh, this year. So both uh, guys being impacted by their home ballparks. And Mountcastle, I think he just started saying, I'm just going to hit the ball farther. Like, I'm just going to hit it harder and farther. Um, but here's the stat line real quick. Uh, 63 played appearances for Mountcastle, 259, uh, six home runs, 10 runs, scored 19 RBI, two stolen bases, which that, that's cool. Um Pasquantino, 54 played appearances, 273 average, two home runs, six runs scored, four RBI, no stolen bases. Uh, I think uh, a couple of things that I want to chime in before I, I turn it over to you, Jake, is Kansas City's offense has been really bad this year, um, where Baltimore's been really good. So those counting stats, I think you're going to continue to see a big uh, difference there. Uh, stolen bases, I think anything that you get from Mountcastle, not, I mean, he's not like super duper slow, but that's just not really part of his game. So anything you get from there is again, that that's found money. That's just like icing on the cake. Um, batting average. I think that that makes complete sense. Pasquantino is just a, a better hitter from that standpoint than Mountcastle is. Um, I didn't grab his, uh, the underlying stats for both, but I would imagine when it comes to like swing and strike, uh, chase race, those sorts of things, you're going to see it. Um, side with Pasquantino over Mountcastle just on that standpoint. But the power numbers, you know, that that's a differentiator uh, as well. So I think they both have some points in their own uh, in their own columns here. What are you seeing with Pasquantino and, and Mountcastle? Yeah, so I think um, Pasqu- they, like you know, they're both like, playing the tough ballparks and um, even though they have power, you know, it might be hard to get to. Um, you know, Mountcastle has been climbing the, the, the left field fence out there this year. Mm-hmm. He's been putting them over pretty easily. Um, you know, but I think with, with Vinny P, I think we maybe expected more power than we've seen so far, but we always knew he was like an incredible hitter. Um, what's interesting is that, so v- Vinny P has, uh, Mountcastle beat easily in strikeout rate and walk rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even close. Vinny P is still walking more than he is striking out, um, and it is the case throughout his career so far in the majors, um, which is ridiculous. And um, like you mentioned, the swing strike and the, and the zone rate, let's see here, uh, zone contact for Vinny P 90% mm. and uh, chase rate 31% interesting. So it's a little higher than I would have thought. Um, and then like Mountcastle, 
his yeah strikeout rate and walk rate the like mid to high 20s like 26 27 percent walk rate up to seven percent has been pretty consistent um and then going down to the uh swinging strike and all that uh let's see here zone contact 87 percent for mount castle so far this year but it's always hovered around 78 79 so we'll see if that um stays and then really high chase rate really high chase rate but what's funny there um you can't look at those numbers and be like oh like mount castle is a better approach you mm-hmm. know maybe a better hitter than vdp what's interesting is that ryan Mountcastle impacts the ball so well and has such an optimal launch angle that his expected batting average is as good if not better than vinnie p's um vinnie pasquantino has had a 289 expected batting average um in his major league career so far and mount castle uh, has really improved that over the last two years. In total, it's 264, but last year it was 277, and so far this year it's 304. Mm. And so, um, you know, like, yeah, he doesn't have the the approach skills. You know, he swings and misses a little bit too much. But, man, looking at this, oh, gosh, looking at this launch angle distribution, uh, 30% ground ball rate. Oh, that's beautiful. You love to see that. Uh, 39% fly ball rate, and he crushes crushes fly balls and a 25% line drive rate. That's about as optimal as you can get for a power hitter. Um, and so far we haven't really seen Vinny P barrel the ball as much as I think we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, because remember last year when he first came up, he struggled for like a month or so mm-hmm. and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, look at his, ex- look at his expected numbers. Look at his barrel rate. He was, he was barreling the ball like a 12% rate. Um, you know, the expected numbers were all much higher. And then it was weird because as he did, he did get better. He did start improving. He did start hitting more homers and, and producing, but he stopped barreling the ball. Um, he stopped hitting the ball as hard. Like it was a weird, like when he hit the ball hard, he did, he didn't do great when he didn't, he, he did. And uh, he ended up with, with decent production overall, but I think it was still just a, it was an 8.8% barrel rate to finish the year, which is good, but I don't think as much as we would expect or, or want from a first baseman with as much, um, I think, hype around him. Um, and this year he's only has one barrel so far. And so, um, you know, he still, he hits the ball really hard, but he hits more more ground balls, doesn't hit nearly enough fly balls. Uh, he's a line drive hitter. And I think that if you're a line drive hitter, great for batting average again, but like I think it kind of hampers your, your power a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, we're talking about first baseman. We're talking about uh, power hitters, pure hitters. I think I got to side with Mountcastle um, just because I think that um, his like the his launch angle kind of helps where his um, his approach kind of hurts him and i think it makes up for a lot of that in just the way that he hits the ball really well um and you see the barrel rates which have been ridiculous for mount castle uh you know 15 he had a 15 percent barrel rate last year over the full season 15 percent um wild and then this year so far 23.3 um yeah, a couple other things you were talking about uh you know how how he impacts the ball. I just looked on the player pages uh, for pitcher list. The fly ball EV for Mountcastle this year is ninety seven point three. The average <laughs> the average is eighty seven point nine, and the uh, hold on, let me make sure. Yeah, major league average eighty seven point nine, and the fly ball EV for Pasquantino is ninety one point six. So I mean that you're talking about good. about five. I mean it's good for Pasquantino, but you're still talking about yeah. like five to six degrees mm-hmm. or five. Uh, to um, six miles per hour. Excuse me, I'm getting all my. And he has a 39% fly ball rate. 
and he has that high of a fly ball exit velocity. That's insane. Yeah. That is truly insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, to answer the would you rather question, I think I'm pretty solidly on the side of Mount Castle right now. Um, I dynasty keep forever all of the above this season i'm really high on mount castle and the wall i was really concerned about and i mm-hmm. think right-handed hitters in, in camden uh is, is concerning but he has shown that he doesn't really care yes yeah, and i don't think that can continue right he's not going to hit six home runs for every 63 plate appearances you well, know but 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 I, I think there's something there to be to to say like he was one of the main he was like the guy that got um sort of targeted last year once that mm-hmm. change made of like oh man that why would they do this now mount castle's value is going to drop and then we saw it bear out like we saw the number of fly balls he hit that would have been home runs or at least you know extra base hits in the uh, original dimensions that then turned into outs last year i actually think he like he figured it out i think he was like okay i need to hit the ball this way to power it out if I'm going to left field, I've also seen that he's going to to center and left center a little bit um, more as well, as, as, especially um, at home. Uh, with all that being said, though, I think I'm actually going to zig where you're zig. <laughs> um, I think rest of, rest of the season is Mount Castle. We, everything we just talked about, like why why wouldn't you? I like Pasquantino's skill set to age better. Yeah, I yeah, like, I can't fight I like you on that, that yeah. to age better. I can mm-hmm. see a Pasquantino and, and again, like dynasty, how far out can you really foresee? It's really like two, three years at best. Right. But yeah. okay. Two, three years from now, I can see Mount Castle having his up and down years. I can see it as being like, Oh, this year he's hitting more fly balls actually. So that distribution is actually skewed a little bit more. It's more fly balls. He's still hitting the heck out of those fly balls, but now, um, there's also a little bit that the chase is still there. The swing and miss is still there. So the average continues to dip down. OBP isn't that strong, but the power numbers are still great. And he's still playing in a, in a good lineup. So those kind of stats are great. And I can see Pasquantino just being like a metronome. It's just like, like you said, every, his whole career walked more than he struck out. I don't see any reason that that changes. He's yeah. not going to chase. Not, and so like the counting numbers. And again, in at first base, that's difficult. That's a difficult investment to make when you know, like, I'm not going to get a possible 30 home run guy. Um, but I think, you know, he can be 26, 27 years old. Mm-hmm. And if the Kansas City offense ever figures it out, <laughs> then like those counting stats start to to come up. And if if you're telling me that the only thing that I'm losing is, oh, he's going to hit 24 home runs instead of 31, but RBI is going to be similar, run score is going to be similar, and he's going to give you what? Probably a difference of 50 points at least in batting average. And OBP, yeah, I, I like Pasquantino. I'm sorry, Orioles fans. I like I like <laughs> Mount Castle, like as an Orioles fan. Yeah. But just when I think about three years, you know, two three years from now, and obviously even further on, I just think the profile ages better. Yeah, I would, do you think? Um, well, so I, I think I think 50 might be a little much for betting average. I still believe in in that. I think, but then, like you said, with with the aging. I could see his what he's relying on right now to get to that batting average. I think those skills will probably fall off a little bit sooner. Um, and also to that point, do you think that Pasquantino's outside or upside career 90th percentile, like mm-hmm. career upside is someone like Joey Votto? Well, see, so here's the thing. And I, I don't want to say I got into it because that, that's extreme. Uh, what I'm saying is this. I think Votto gets thrown around as a – somewhat lazy comp 
for first basemen who aren't mashers, but who are good hitters, um, especially if they're left-handed. And so I kind of, this is kind of the problem that I have with making player comps. It's just one guy kind of just becomes the the guy for, it's kind of like, in, I know I keep talking about the NBA and I'm sorry, but it's kind of like in the NBA where like, we're just now coming out of an era where every European player was compared to like dirt and whiskey. And it's like, because he's European and like that's the only similarity that they kind of have and like he's tall but it's like it's not really if you really look at their games it's not just that guy I guess that's my point it can be one of several so Vado is a guy that you could compare him to I don't think he's the only guy you can compare him to um, right. so that that's just my soapbox for a quick second getting back to your actual question uh, I do think that his 90th career sort of outcome that 90th percentile um outcome is mm, vital i would say um even the guy like um what we've seen and, and this is kind of weird just because of he was older when he came to the majors but even what we saw from like jose abreu yeah right? yeah as as a just again like that just metronome so i think vato i think abreu i think if we get a little bit more historical i think um, a guy that I think gets lost uh, a lot is like, and I think Pasquantino probably has more power. And I, I don't have his career numbers, but like John Oliver, like John Oliver just he just hit. I think Pasquantino has more power than Oliver ever put up in his career. Mm-hmm. But just like that sort of like he's always in the lineup, right? He very seldom gets hurt, and and we know health is a skill, and that's kind of his own conversation. But just like just consistent. Like it's just it's, it's always there. Actually, I'm kind of curious now. I kind of want to pull up Oliver Root's numbers. Um, but those are some of the guys that like come to mind is is like the best case outcome or one of the best case outcomes for his career. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, because if you're if you're saying that, yeah, because if you're saying that, um, you know, his uh approach is going to age really well. I think that those are kind of the guys that you look at. Like I think Abreu is another great one. Um, because you know, if you're talking about you can get someone that you can get production from good production from into his mid to late thirties, I think that's a huge difference than, you know, someone who might kind of peter out at right. like 33. Right. He is, uh, you know, Mount Castle, I can see an outcome. I'm not saying I want this for him. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I can see an outcome where he gets into age 28, age 29 season, and then it starts to slow down. Right. And then it starts to be more fly ball. Like, and that's what I'm saying. Like, fly the the distribution becomes either a lot of fly balls or like a lot of ground balls now because maybe the bat slows a little bit more we already know that he chases so now he's chasing more you know it's just all those things start to pull back um and Pasquantino I just I, I don't necessarily see it happening I'm looking at John Oliver's numbers and yeah I mean his highest uh, home run total was 24 the 1993 season for Toronto he hit 24 home runs that was his career high he hit 22 three different times in 21 home runs once and that was um with seattle in, in 01 but again k rate versus high rate career uh walking k rate uh 14.1 percent walk rate 11.2 percent k rate you know like <laughs> that's what yeah. i mean like three how he old did he how old did he play until how many years did 36 he he, he he finished with Boston year 36. I mean, his year 36 season, he played 87 games, 192 played appearances, only seven home runs, only 18 runs scored, only 37 RBI, right? So super low. 8.3. This was 
one. Let me let me make sure I'm looking at this right. Boom, 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 boom. It was the first time since his uh, I'm sorry, since his second year in the major leagues, since his second full year in the major leagues. So his first time since 1991 that his K rate was higher than his walk rate. Wow. And his K rate, just so you know, was 10.4% and his walk rate was 8.3%. So it was barely. <laughs> um, and then looking at the slash line, he put up 289, 344, 451, 105 WRC plus. And that's at 36 playing, yeah. you know, half the, yeah. half the season. So like, that's what I'm talking about is, is, is for Pasquantino. Again, power numbers, I think, can be higher. I think there's going to be more 20 home run or, you know, high team 20 home run seasons than this. But that walk K rate, that contact rate, that sort of triple slash, and it, again, being able to age, you know, he Oliver played Toronto, played with the Mets, obviously, played with Seattle, finished up with Boston. It just – Goes like it just continues, and he was also a good. Alvaro was a good defensive player, and I think Pasquantino is a better defender than Mountcastle is as well, and I think that helps. So that's that. I think we're going to end on that note. Um, we have some more. Would you rather? We Jake did a great job. Let me give credit where credit's due. Jake did a great job of assembling uh, almost thirty different matchups. Um, and so we only pulled out a few, obviously, to go through with you all. So we have more. We'll probably have at least, you know, one, if not two more episodes where these are peppered in. Um, if you guys have thoughts, send them our way. Um, you can find us, uh, obviously, on Twitter um, at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. Jake, they can find you. At Jake Mache, M-A-I-S-H. You can send it that way. If you're a Pitcherless member, you can find us on the Discord. Send it that way. Um, if you have other matchups that you think are interesting, I would love to do a mailbag episode. So again, if you're a member, we are um, available. There is a podcast mailbag channel. So, you know, feel free to send some questions our way. I would love to do a mailbag episode, but yeah, um, we're going to finish up here. Jake, what are you working on? What's, what's coming out? Uh, it's still the, uh, just the um, starting pitchers stash. Um, starting to do that. Uh, get into the swing of that a little bit. I took it over this year. Um, and so, uh, trying to incorporate kind of something new each time, I think. So the one that was just published while we were recording this episode has an extra chart at the end uh, called the watch list. And so I have the top 10 um, kind of like the guys that you should be looking at right now. And then I have the deeper ones at the bottom. I, I think I included seven more names, um, you know, for specifically for deep leagues, um, because I think someone commented on the uh, on like the tweet in the article last week, like, um, oh, a lot, like these guys are all taken up already, you know, and, and he, I think he said in sharp leagues. Um, and like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff is cause like they're on the Yahoo or whatever, they're available in like 80, 90% of leagues. Right. And then you get into like the deeper leagues, the 15 teamers, the, I mean, obviously the NFBC and all that, like these guys, most of them are gone that I was talking about. And so I was, I, I included a chart to kind of get at some deeper names. And so, um, trying to kind of like improve it as it goes. And um, I color coded the chart this time as well. So, um, you know, obviously always open to feedback. Let, let me know, guys, if, you know, you, anything specific you want to see with how the data is presented or anything like that or certain things that aren't included that you'd really want to be. So, um, but yeah, that's, I'm having a fun, a, a blast with that, really. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jake, hard at work for you all. Hard at work. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, the, what, what was formerly the, minor league player and pitcher of the week 
column uh, is now being rebranded, renamed the prospect watch list. Much simpler, much easier. Yeah. Um, so the pro- uh, the prospect watch list is is making its return. Um, by the time you guys hear this, actually, it should already be published. It will be a weekly article. Um, every Tuesday is the publication date on Picture List. And uh, for those that that didn't follow last year, this is an article where I'm looking at weekly performances uh, by. Uh, top prospects, but also, you know, trying to find those hidden gems as well. Kind of like what Jake was talking about for deep leagues. This was a column that last year I was able to um, unearth, if you will, uh, Kyle Manzardo, um, Justin Dearden uh, for Houston and and, and, uh, some other, you know, um, names that we start to see and hear about more and more as the season uh, winded on and, and definitely coming into this year. So I really enjoy it because it's a way for me to find some guys like, Oh, I didn't know about this guy and actually kind of get a leg up on my, <laughs> on, on my uh, league mates to go grab them first before, uh, before they can read my article. Um, but, but I, I definitely will be talking about the top guys. Cause of course the, the cream always rises. So I'm sure we'll, we'll see those um, top performances as well, but it's going to be the first uh, article will be out and it'll be nice because it'll have um, a couple of weeks uh, worth of sort of data for us to to come off of. And then from then on, it'll be weekly um, looking at that week's performances, highlighting player, pitcher, probably have some uh, honorable mentions for you guys to take a look at. So prospect watch list, keep an eye out. Um, as always, want to let listeners know that they can find this podcast and all other Pitcher List pods on our Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Uh, again, you can find us on Twitter at Inside Fastball and at Jake Mache. Um, With that, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.